In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place. Welcome to the seventh edition of the Daily Memphian Grizzlies podcast. I'm Chris Harrington, and I'm joined this week by colleagues Jeff Hawkins and Don Wade for a little roundtable at the season's midpoint, where the Grizzlies are a disappointing, perhaps, 9-22, and but came out of their recent malaise for one night at least for a home win over the Spurs on Wednesday night. What's up, guys? I'm good. It was, uh, it was fun last night. It, it was. It's, it's, been, it's been a long time. It has been a long time. It feels, um, it felt, it was very, it was striking though. I, I thought, I mean, obviously the big story last night was, um, I mean, Mark being Mark, uh, or the Mark, whatever, Mark being the good Mark, and the Grizzlies winning in the same way that they did when they got off to that 12-5 and five start. I thought what was striking though, I mean, in the last week, there's been so much talk about blow it up, blow it up, blow it up, not not from the people close to the franchise, but from the broader city. Um, here we go again, blow it up, whatever, tank, all that stuff. And apart from whatever management thinks, it's just not, that's not, the vibe in the locker room is not at all, this is last year. The vibe in the locker room is, is that we can't really figure out why we lost all those games. We like each other despite the turmoil, whatever. And we're going to try to um, win every game. And I think it's very clearly what they're going to do. So those who are in the blow it up camp um, out there in the greater uh, citizenry, you're going to be disappointed. That's not what you're getting this year. Well, it's funny because it's it's sort of in some ways it is a repeat of last season in that the disconnect between fan and media conversation and what the internal reality is. Because last year everyone agonized over taking or not taking, and the only place where that was not a conversation or an, an agonized conversation was in the front the offices of the Grizzlies management because they knew they were tanking, and like they knew they <laughs> needed to, and they were just doing it. Right. Like it, it wasn't they weren't agonized about it. And this season it's sort of the opposite. People can talk about it all they want, but like they they want to just be as good as they can be this season. There may be I think there may be some different around the edges in terms of how things go but like they're not going to quote-unquote tank like that's just not going to happen this season I think we're at a point where for fans and media when Chris Wallace comes out and talks I mean he does what general managers do he spins you know yeah. he, he he talks and you roll your eyes and, and you move on but to Jeff's point in the locker room last night listening to Mike Conley and and Mark Gasol I mean it seemed real I mean the resolve that the players themselves feel whether it proves to have merit only time will tell us that but the resolve right now is real that that was not spent yeah and so i mean there, there, there's sort of two tracks here there's the um the the let's be good enough to give our um, pick to boston which is not exactly doesn't have the lift of a driving dream right, right. and then there's the let's try to make the playoffs um the second thing is very much still operable the first thing whether it is or not i think is very much in question like it's too much damage been done um, they are three and a half games out of the eight seed right now, which doesn't sound like a lot, but in half a season, it's a little bit. And then, but they also would have to vault like four other teams even to get to that point. I mean, what what kind of odds do we give the Grizzlies to actually be a playoff team this season? I don't even really seriously think about it. I mean, I, I honestly, no, but they do. The players do. The players do. Um, odds? Yeah, they got a ten percent chance of. Of, of figuring it out, of, of being closer to the team that they were at the beginning of the season and winning a bunch of games. And I'd say, sure, they have a 10% chance of of figuring out and making the playoffs. I don't really think it is interesting you say that. The players do. 
and I, I guess management does. Um, I don't really know what management thinks there in, in terms of that. I, I don't know many fans at all who are thinking about playoffs anymore. They're, they're, I mean, to me, and, and I know it's not a goal to, 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 that inspires anyone. It's the same goal that I had at the beginning of the year for the franchise, which is that they would be competitive. And I think there's a better chance that they can regain their competitiveness than there is that they can actually make it in back and make it in the playoffs in a very crowded West. They can be competitive and they can be good enough to convey the pick to Boston. And that's what I wanted out of the year. So I think there's a, I think there's a, 50% chance that they do that or 60% chance that they do that. I think right. there's a 10% chance that they make the playoffs. What do you uh, think? The math is not at all in their favor. Not only do they need people in the top eight to fall out, they can't have anybody else where they are move up ahead of them. And the New Orleans Pelicans, to me, with Anthony Davis, look like a good bet to move up ahead of them. So it, it's great that they have this newfound resolve after last night and all of that. But all the math is, is still working against them, and it will continue to be that way. What um we mentioned, like they've gone through this period of sort of turmoil over the past month, which is quite the contrast to the, you know, we have a bunch of uh, high IQ, um, good locker room, which I think they do, good locker room guys, and we're just like a solid professional basketball team again. And then there's just this dark cloud over the last few weeks. Um, the biggest thing, and Jeff and I have written about this, like, you know, until our faces are blue, basically, the Chandler Parsons thing. You haven't done, although you you did our feature on Parsons in training camp. And so you talked to Parsons and wrote about his sort of bid to come back this season, which lasted two games and six minutes, basically. Where, where are you on the Chandler Parsons experience this season? Uh, I had my own Chandler Parsons experience. When I was in my 20s, I bought a used black Camaro that looked awesome. And people would compliment me on it when I was at the car wash or, or pumping gas. I mean, like a thousand supermodels agree. It, it was a cool car, uh, uh, just kind of like Chandler Parsons. But my car had bad knees, essentially. Right. I, I, I had been warned beforehand. My red flag was Camaros look great and they're fun to drive, but they'll be in the shop all the time. That car was in the shop all the time. And I eventually, guess what? traded it in for very little value because I couldn't take the cost anymore. What, what do you think about the way it was handled, both by Parsons and the team, though? I think it's kind of ridiculous that he wouldn't go down to South Haven and, and play for a while because in Major League Baseball, this is the norm. Yadier Molina is going to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. He has done rehab assignments. I don't see, you know, what is the big deal? I think... You know, it's funny you mentioned that because my, my, my greatest memory of seeing a player from the Cardinals down for the Redbirds on, our, on a quote-unquote rehab assignment was uh, Mark Mulder. And it was a, it was a weekday game, like a, one of those businessman special kind of things, like Wednesday right. at noon or whatever. And my friend Chris Vernon called me and said, hey, let's go watch this Redbirds game. And at this point, this, I was still working for Memphis Flyer, so I could do stuff like this. So I was like, okay, let's go watch the Redbirds game. We sat in the stands, and Mark Mulder, I believe had been a Cy Young winner in the past. You, you probably know that better than I do. He comes out, and they are hitting line drives off the YMCA building off this guy. <laughs> and he didn't last much longer as a professional player after that. And it wasn't a rehab assignment. It was a you're washed assignment. It was like your, your arm is dead assignment. And I think with Chandler Parsons – was he? What was he rehabbing from? That this is my thing. He didn't get injured. He just had sore knees. Like he, when he pulled himself out in the third game of the season, was it because he re-injured his knee? Is because his knees couldn't handle the strain? And so I think you know, I think his fear may partly have been 
you know, he complained like there's no clear plan for me to come back. Well, of course, it's not a clear plan. We have to see if you can actually play. Well, yeah, it, yeah, was, it wasn't rehab in the sense of it wasn't get D- back Dylan Brooks to Michael Green. Right, exactly. They're coming I mean, off it was, injuries. It right? was proved to us that you're not going to be limping after two weeks. And so two how games. so and how could you give him a plan? If you do this, you will be back. If you don't know if you can no, play, no, it's a, it is a prove it. It's go go prove something. Like right. it is go prove it. And I listen for the longest time. I, Obviously, the Grizzlies are blame have the blame in signing him in the first place. If anything, they can be blamed for the kid gloves with which they treated him for so long when they didn't make him earn anything. They just handed him everything. A, they handed him the $94 million, but then they handed him playing time he didn't deserve. He handed him a starting spot this year that he didn't deserve. He handed him everything, and in response, what did he give them? He gave them... Uh, uh, Subtweet, nothing in the, in the effective play. Last all they got was this okay. lousy subtweet. All they got is yeah. All they got was this lousy subtweets. And then and then he's 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 subtweeting them. He's stirring up um, crap. He's going to the to the, his agent is whining. He's whining. Um, like at some point, you got the benefit of the doubt because they invested this money in, in you for two seasons. Well, now they're finally like, eh, you just go go play two games and and he didn't do it. I find his I found his behavior to be de- deplorable and totally consistent with the tone deafness uh, and sense of entitlement that came with the Chain Coon picture and the I won the lottery tweet and everything else. It all fits. Personally, everybody likes him. He's a nice guy, but I think probably among other things, as the locker room had their sort of we're all in it together meeting two days ago. I think it's easier to have that meeting without Chandler Parsons sitting there. You do wonder about not only him, but, you know, Selden and Marshawn Brooks are going. And they, those guys, as far as I know, were not problems at all in the locker room, except when they were announced that they were traded and they weren't traded. And then they are appropriately unhappy about being jerked around, unhappy about being jerked around. And you get two guys who are sort of walking dead in your locker room and another guy who's like just complaining all the time. And so I, I, I do think just resolving those issues, you know, had to be sort of a positive thing, but it is, it does bring up with Parsons thing, the the interesting thing where in the middle of all this, they trade Selden and Marshawn Brooks for Justin Holiday, a two for one of wing players. And then Dylan Brooks is now out for the season. And so suddenly, you know, you, where you had four potential contributors, Marshawn Brooks, Wayne Selden, Dylan Brooks, Chandler Parsons, you take that four and bring it down to one and Justin Holiday. And so, if the thing with Parsons hadn't blown up, wouldn't there be a better opportunity for him now than there was two weeks oh, ago? There's no question. And and this all gets to – we've got a pretty long track record of the way this organization handles injuries and potential injuries, and it's not not real good. I mean, I literally just came from my podiatrist to come and do this podcast, and he happens to be a huge Grizzlies fan. And he's like, why is Dylan Brooks out for the season with a with a toe – Injury, you know, it's it's like there's all these questions, and well, and, and they, when, they they are saying likely out for this. They they have not said definitively he is out for the season. The Grizzlies have not, it, but it seems. Yeah. My understanding is it, it's likely he's and, out. For the and season. there was a time back in the day when, and I don't know how widely circulated this was, but this information I I know to be true, when Tony Allen sought treatment from doctors in town that were not Grizzlies doctors because he was not happy with the way things were going for a particular injury. And so you always kind of feel like they're behind the curve, not just Chandler Parsons, but like, and how they make moves and how they account for, you know, the Knicks and, and all this, that this guy's dealing with and that guy, they, they never seem to, 
to be in front of it. Yeah, well, to me, to me, uh, the, the the point there is is that um, he he shot himself on the knee. I guess not the foot, but like he would be if he had simply hung around, shut up, and played. Um, he would be given a chance, given the given the given the the losses. And well, so, he, what was accomplished? Right. It goes back. What did he accomplish by his whining and by his subtweeting and whatever else? He accomplished being sent back to L.A. where he can hang out with his Instagram girlfriend, and that's great. That's what he accomplished. Had he not done that, yes, he would have a much greater chance to play. And I don't think that's the Grizzlies mishandling injuries. I think that's that's Chandler Parsons mishandling his impatience. Well, I think he's hoping to accomplish a buyout or a trade within this season, and I think that's not it's going impossible. To, it's, isn't not going, it? it's not impossible, but it, it is very unlikely. I think. Yeah. Um, the one person we haven't talked about that much um, so far, who's been the subject of a lot of. Um, Scrutiny, I would say, during this downturn is J.B. Bickerstaff. What do we make of his coaching job through his first half season of being a not in, not an interim but an actual official NBA coach? Yeah, the big takeaway I have so far is that it feels like he doesn't have complete control, and we've and we've seen this with other coaches, right? Um, there seemed to be a disconnect, uh, again, on what to do with Chandler Parsons. There seems to have been a disconnect at various times on you play Jaron Jackson Jr. in the fourth quarter or you don't play him or how much do you play him, how much room do you give him when he gets in foul trouble, all of that. You know, I think at some point you got to turn your coach loose and find out what he really has and let him take his best shot with the players he has. And then if you don't like it, you take action. Yeah, I, I, I haven't seen any evidence. He's taken a lot of criticism externally for the Jaron Jackson Jr. usage, including from me. Um, I haven't seen much evidence of internal problems on that. Certainly the Chandler Parsons thing was a point of some tension internally. And I, I sense that that at the point where he finally put Shel Javon Carter in over Shelvin Mack, I think that was, there were some internal like, come on, man, Shelvin Mack's been bad for a month. That didn't last too long. <laughs> it didn't. It, 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 no, we, I, I think I hate to say this because people will take it too seriously, but I would jokingly say like no one was happier to see Shel Javon Carter shoot three for 17 than, than J.B. Bickerstaff because I gave him <laughs> the license of a shoving back right. right back in the lineup. Um, I feel like J.B. is he's sort of in a tough spot. to. Well, he's in a spot that gives him a lot of exposure in that he doesn't have a team that is so talented it can coast on talent. And he doesn't have a team that can't compete, right? It's not last season where, like, no one's bad at J.B. Bickerstaff because, of course, they're losing every game. He's in that broad middle. The Grizzlies are in that broad middle of the NBA where, like, if you're not performing well, there's going to be a lot of scrutiny on everything Scrutiny on everything you do. And it's sort of – it's an opportunity and it's a risk for a coach, right? Because the spotlight is going to be on you because there's going to be oh, a sense that, that, you, that you have a real impact on which way things are going. And it's not guaranteed positive or negative, right? It, it feels like fans have been quicker to second-guess JB in a lot of ways than they have some other coaches. I, yeah, it's funny. I, my sense of this is I think you're exactly right. It's interesting, like, Jaron Jackson Jr. doesn't seem to object to his playing time at all. Like, he's right. an eternally happy guy. And last night among them, like, Jermichael Green finished the game. And um, and Jaron Jackson played well last night. He was good. Um, he got in some foul trouble, but it wasn't he, it, it was it not wasn't a case just of qualifying or right. whatever else. So, um, what you had said on, on my radio show, I think, is exactly right. Jaron Jackson plays. Then in comes Jermichael Green. And then two things happen. One is Jermichael Green plays – 
and the only way Jaron Jackson gets back in the game is if he had been playing well and if and if Jermichael Green. Green plays poorly. Right. If Jermichael Green plays well, which he was last night, he doesn't get back in the game even though Jaron Jackson had played well. And if Jaron Jackson had played poorly or had gotten in foul trouble, then he doesn't get into the back game, game either. Right. I think he is – I'll be honest. I think Dave, as a tech, as a basketball coach on the court basketball coach – Dave Yeager was a hell of a coach, and right. so that's why he wasn't second-guessed. I mean, there were things that were second-guessed about him, but generally, to the extent people objected to him, it's that he didn't play young guys enough, but he didn't have talented young guys like Jaron Jackson to ignore, um, and, that, and that he didn't get along with management. Right. Um, I think JB is being, like, people expect this team to win a little bit, and they expect, and they see Shelvin Mack floundering, and they see Jermike, and they see Jaron Jackson Jr., excelling and so therefore there are some legitimate questions about how he is and not just from memphis david thorpe tweeted right um i'm stunned they hired him that seemed like piling on at that moment and he's hates he doesn't like the grizzlies organization generally i I think i think it's somewhat mysterious i think from the outside you're looking to see if you can sense the coach's fingerprints on things right and so i think over the years i think we we saw lionel hollins was a really good at motivating people and getting guys to play hard and sort of as ordinary as he was, he was good at managing his personalities, right, and getting the most out of them. And I think we saw that Dave Yeager was just, and we see it in Sacramento this season, just a really good game coach. Like, who's drawing out of timeout play? Who's adjusting during the game? Like, he's a good game coach. He has his own problems, getting along with management, and that's happened at multiple stops. He's a good game coach. I think with JB, people are, I think people sense that, like, he has the personal respect of everyone he works with, and people sense the the goodness in him and, you know, in, in all of your interactions. But I think people are still looking to try to find where are the fingerprints, right? What when What is he doing that effectively pushes things in the right direction? And I, I think people are still, like, I'm not discounting it, but I think people haven't quite found it yet. It's not as apparent, you know? Right. Well, and... Let's be honest, the less talent you have, the harder it is to look like a good sideline coach. That's right? true. That's you know, true. Mike Conley goes off the floor, and in most cases, the team immediately takes a step back for however long he's off the floor. And you're desperately hoping for somebody to provide some scoring. Now, Mark Gasol carried the load last night, and that was great. But a lot of nights when Mike's off the floor, there's no way for them to, to hardly be functional on offense. I don't know what you draw up on your little – you know, dry erase board when nobody can make a shot or create a shot. No, but what you don't draw up is some of the lineups that he's thrown out there is, I think, have caused people to wonder that, yes, he has limited, he has certain talent limitations. I will say this, by the way, I do not underestimate his ability to um, keep people going on the same page. He very clearly disagreed with the Chandler Parsons thing, right? right. And and Dave Yeager never would have let that go right. if if that had been the equivalent. We were hearing, we would be hearing about it for the rest of his time here, right? There'd be veiled references. There would be in, all the time. If only we had a shooter, a, a, a gimpy white shooter, like right, whatever, right. like, right. and we, we might have won. Um, I really do get the sense that JB, when people say we close the doors and then we move on and we're on the same page. He does that, which right. is not easy to do. That is a skill, too. It right? is a skill, too. Yeah. And I think he helps the players do that as well. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if any night and the, the more nights are going to look like last night. But I do think last night was partly a product of JB's ability to help move through things and it helps the players move through things. We're about three and a half weeks from the NBA trade deadline. 
what do we think the Grizzlies might do? What do we think they should do? Do we have any thoughts on – because it's a decision point, right? Like, you know, they're, they're not going to know for sure whether they're in a playoff race or not or whether they will be in April, but they have to make decisions in the next month. Um, what kind of decisions are should they be making or will they be making, do we think? I think it depends. I, obviously, you look, you look up where, where you are. So where you are, A, relative to the playoff race, and where you are relative to conveying the pick to Boston. I think you look at both those things, where you are. Um, because, for example, what, whatever you can get for Jermichael Green, well, A, it probably depends what you're going to get back for, what you're going to be asking back for Jermichael Green. Are you going to want a contract and, 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 and other assets? Are you going to ask, well, a wing player is going to help you now? Or like, that matters. Um, but it's also... Um, it's also is keeping Jermichael Green if we're not getting anything consequence for him and I don't think particularly you will right. does keeping him make more sense if you are either still think you can make the playoffs or still be good enough to convey the pick to Boston so I don't think it's even a given that you trade any of them because if you're still in the hunt for either of those things I think unless you can take your team better you continue to be in the hunt for either of those things and then there's the separate question I don't believe they're going to be trading Marcus all would I take calls on it sure I would I would take calls on it I will be very interested to see to what degree Marcus all turns up and trade chatter around the league in the next three weeks well, you know, Brian Windhorst said yesterday that right. he had talked to several teams that were watching Marcus all and and apparently are interested in you know how much of that's legitimate how much is you know just the old game of putting putting stuff out there because you've got some other agenda and you know misdirection and and all of that but uh, I also wonder from an organizational standpoint how concerned the Grizzlies are with what the perception from the fans will be on moves they make or don't make I mean that was not a good crowd last night for a Spurs game and the crowd's have been down and right. you're whether they, they never want to admit this or at all but the town right now is a penny hardaway memphis tigers town and it's going to be more so that way next year when james wiseman is here at some level you have to be thinking how do we keep the fan base engaged whatever we choose to do or not do that that has to be part of their equation i don't want to get sidetracked on the tigers grizzlies thing i just want to make one point that, that that's weird to me mm -hmm. There's a good chance Jaron Jackson Jr. has already played more basketball games in the city of Memphis <laughs> than James, than James Wiseman will. No, that's actually true. Will right. after that, his that high is school actually career true. Already today. Yeah. And there's also a very good chance, in fact, most people would take the bet, even though even though James Wiseman's projected as the number one pick in that draft, I think if you went around to most NBA scouts and placed the bet, Jaron Jackson oh, will be a better right basketball now, player right in his now, career than James Wiseman. most players, if most people – I think if NBA GM, you could have said, one or the other. You could have 15 one or the years. other. Most, yes, you could. The most would take Jaron Jackson. Right. I, I don't think there's any question about that. It actually plays into what we think about this pick that you ultimately have to convey to Boston as right. well. Because whatever you think of this year's draft, the next year's draft, James Wiseman's projected to go to number one, and he wouldn't have gone in the top four in, the, in this in this past draft. I don't believe. I have a so, play. I don't yeah. know. I, I just, so, that's um, my sense, though. Uh, I don't think anything they can do at the trade deadline is going to change the way. Is going to change attendance at 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 FedEx Forum for the for the Grizzlies this year. Um, I do think in the end they have some branding issues that really start with management more than I do think that yes. those considerations factor into long term planning to yes. some degree though. I think yeah. so right. too. I think people realize that people are kind of bored with this product, right? Whatever it is, but some of that is literally like 
they're they don't like Chris Wallace anymore for whatever you know whatever right. they like Chris Wallace actually had a pretty good summer between Jaron Jackson and and look at the Kyle Anderson signing that looks smart doesn't it doesn't it I, I think so yeah Very so much. it yeah. wasn't a the weird thing is is he had a better summer than he had years before that right um but so but what I back to Mark I would take calls on Mark and I a I would do two things I don't know that he would answer you I would like to get a I would ask Mark's agent if he knows what he's going to be doing at the end of this year. I, and then I would also see what the, if there's any, any market at all for Mark, a meaningful one. I have not had a chance to pose that question to Mark Gasol because I'm not going to do it in a scrum, and I don't think I would get an answer to it anyway. Right. I have talked to people in the organization, and they do not, they do not expect that they're going to get any definitive they word from Mark Gasol or his agent in the next three or four weeks. Yeah. Um, because he, as so you that, out that's not going to happen. They're not going to get the, okay, we're leaving this summer. That's, they're not going to get gonna that get message that. in the next And do you month. think that's because he doesn't know or because he just doesn't want to think about it or because – because I actually would think Mark, given his loyalty to the organization, like LeBron was never going to do that with a, to tell people what he's going to do at the end of the year, right? That's right. just not – I do believe Mark cares deeply about the Grizzlies, and so that would have been the only thing cutting in favor of I'll give them an answer. But he may I, not – as you point I, out, he I, may not know the answer. I, I think there's a chance he opts out and leaves. I, I do not think he has decided that that is what he is going to do. And so – you know, if he does it, it's the decision he'll make this summer. I think it's quite possible that in his mind he's coming back. I don't know that either. Right. But I, I feel pretty strongly that he has not internally decided, okay, this, these, these is, this is my last three months in Memphis right. in some definitive way. I don't think that at all. He's an in-the-moment guy. He's yes. very much like focus on the process, focus on – I think that's he, – he wouldn't need to – I'll think about that when it comes. In terms of the, the trade deadline question, my, my friend Matt Herlicka, who is a – who has a private business in the city of Atlanta and writes a Patreon page on the Grizzlies that you have to pay for. And I pay $2 a month for it. I think I'm one of like 30 people, but he's really good. And he made the point recently that in Chris, when Chris Wallace has been in charge, when the Grizzlies make trades to get better in season, they don't wait. Their history, you know, they went out and got Mario Chalmers in November. They just went in and did it. Um, the, the Justin Holiday thing, they, they didn't wait to the trade deadline. They went and did it. And their history has been when they're trying to make themselves better, they don't wait for the trade deadline. They just go, they go and they, you know, they try to do it with Kelly Oubre, right? Um, and so if they make a deal at the deadline, and I think they might, I think it will be not, I don't think it's going to be a, you know, let's bring in a guy to help us for the next three months. I think it'll be more of a long range kind of thing. Like maybe it's a, you decide we're not going to resign Michael Green this summer. You know, it may not hurt us that much to move him now because we kind of like Kyle Anderson and Omri Caspi playing those backup four minutes. Right. Um, so I think they could do something like that. But I, I think the the pure buying trade, we're buying something to help us right now. I think they've already done it. And I don't think the market. So I, I, I think he his name may turn up and chatter, but I, I would be very surprised if anything actually happened. And in, you always get season. the sense that Chris wants to, to know that he's got a draft pick or two in his back pocket. Right. And they just traded away a couple of. Right, couple of right. draft picks, so yeah, you, you could have something like that. Um, guys, thanks for thanks for joining me this week. Anything else we want to touch on before we get out of here? Are we good? Sounds good to me. All right, the Grizzlies will they they actually have two days rest. They'll be in Miami on Saturday night. They are eight and one this season since opening night when they've had at least two days rest. So that bodes well. One would hope for the Grizzlies, although there will not be the Gasol family in the stand. So Gasol will have to find some extra motivation elsewhere as far as that goes. Um, for Jeff and Don, I'm Chris Harrington. This has been the Daily Memphian Grizzlies podcast. 
Thanks to the OAM Network and Gil Worth, Natalie Chandler, as always, on the wheels of steel over here beside me. <laughs> you can subscribe to the site at dailymythian.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Daily Mythian. And make sure to subscribe to the to this Grizzlies podcast and all of our other podcasts, Tiger Basketball, uh, Tiger Sports, Politics, and everything else, wherever you get your podcasts, including iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and the rest. In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place.